0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Oh my goodness. I think uh, Pastor George invited me because he wanted me to teach you how to say hallelujah. Oh God. They just sang two of my favorite songs. Uh, wow, wow. I love the Lord. He heard my cry and he pitied every groan as long as I live. And trouble rise, I will what? Hasten to his throne. Amen. How many can say God is good this morning? Good. All, the all the time? If we were in Congo, it would be Zambia Zali Malamu. It means God is good. Then you would say Tongo Yonso, which means all the time. And I am indeed uh, happy to be here with you today. It feels like uh, being home again. Although I think George missed the uh, suggestion box because when I was here about a year and a half, two years ago, I put five notes in saying, have him come back next week. (laughs) Next week didn't come. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm grateful to him. I want to give honor to him in his absence today because I believe that God has appointed him to uh, lead you all in this great mission that you have. Got to say something about this baptism thing. I, uh, I, uh, when I, when I went to church for an itty-bitty moment when I was a little bitty guy, um, uh, I was kind of in the Baptist tradition. In the Baptist tradition, you dunk. And so when I first saw that little thing you call the baptismal font, <laughs> you know, I said, the Presbyterians really do believe in miracles. <laughs> How in the world are you going to get a whole body in that thing only to discover that you actually cheat? At least she rubbed his head today. (laughs) Our traditions are crazy. (laughs) We're crazy, aren't we? Well, I'm not here to tell stories or to tell jokes. I'm here actually to uh, deliver a message to you. And actually, I don't have a new message. If you ever find a preacher who thinks he has a new revelation, kick he or she out. Because our job is simply to retell God's gracious story about our lives and his interaction with us. Amen? That should have been a little heavier than that. Let's see. Let me get a little practice in this morning. But let me read uh, from the Word of God. And uh, I'm here actually literally to just remind you of something this morning. I'm going to read the text twice, once from the New International Version and then once from the uh, Amplified. Mark chapter 3, if you will. I'm going to read just six short verses. And uh, this is what the Word of the Lord says. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 designating them apostles. One, that they might be with him. Two, that they might send out, that he might send them out to preach. And three, to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed Simon. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, <clears throat> the sons of thunder. Bartholomew, Matthew, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. From the Amplified Version. And he went up on a hillside and called to him for himself those whom he wanted and chose, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 to continue to be with him that he might send them out to preach as apostles or special messengers and to have authority and power to heal the sick and to drive out demons. They were Simon, surnamed Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, James. And he surnamed them the sons of Thunder, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Judas, not Iscariot, and Simon, the Canaanite, also called Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. That's how we say it when I come from. And I would say it here in the word of the Lord, right? Okay, all right, all right. This This is the early service. So as I mentioned, I'm here just to remind you of something really simple. And that is God calls us to be a dynamic force in The earthly realm. If you leave with nothing else, that's what I want you to leave with. God called you. Point to somebody and say, he's talking to you. God called you to be a dynamic force for his kingdom here in this earthly realm. But let's take a a minute just to kind of look at a few things here in this text. A couple of observations. Let's talk about mountains. How many know that prophets can be really, really weird at times? Yeah, your pastors can't be really weird. Don't hold it against them. It's in their DNA. But history tells us that prophets often resorted to symbolic actions. Excuse me, this is popping and it's driving me crazy. Okay, let's try that. Okay. So history tells us that prophets often, often resorted to symbolic actions when words alone could not penetrate their dull conscience. Symbolic actions were things that the prophets did often purposefully, kind of weird and at times offensive to dramatize God's message. They were intended to startle people in fact or to grab their, their attention or to create an extra powerful presentation of God's message. Well the Jews of Jesus, they thought Jesus was a prophet for that very reason. Like the prophets of old, some of his actions had symbolic meaning. So in this text here, Mark tells us that Jesus, for example, goes up on the mountain. Now, why would you have to go up on a mountain just to give a simple message? Why? Because the Old Testament presents rich heritage mountaintops as locations where revelations occur. Think about Moses up on the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments. Think about Noah. Some would say he was on a mountain. Abraham up on a mountain when God gave them messages. And just before Jesus walked on the water, they said he went to a mountainside to pray, according to Mark chapter 6. Then Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the favorite three. Up on this mountain, and we call it the transfiguration. He was changed and he appeared with Elijah and Moses, and that's found in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Then Jesus was on the Mount of Olives or Mount Olivet when he began to talk to them about the signs of the end times. So Jesus was following the tradition of these old prophets, right? So he went up on this mountain, and therefore, the mountain then represents kind of a locus of revelation and redemptive action, and was familiar because of the Old Testament, and it's essential for this background. So that's the first thing we want to see, that God gets them in this place where he can really speak to them. The second thing I want you to look at is the, kind of the, the 12 disciples. Have you ever really talked about those guys? you ever read up on them? Have you ever studied who they are? Somebody said they were a motley crew. And earlier in the gospel, we find that, that, that Jesus called a few persons to him, and we said it in Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2. And soon hundreds and thousands begin to follow him. Everywhere he went, the, the place was just filled with people. So, so in the midst of this, he calls this group of guys. Wow. Webster defines motley as composed of diverse and often con- incongruous elements. By definition, they were just a jacked-up group of people. So who was this ragtag group? I want you to pay attention to them closely. Uh, The group may have included, they say, as many as three pairs of brothers and a pair of like-minded friends, Philip and Andrew. But the way we read the scripture, it's easy to picture these guys as, as just kind of really good, wholesome individuals. But think about it. Simon was associated with the zealots. You know what the zealots wanted to do? They wanted to overthrow everything. They were the ones always starting the riots, especially against the Roman government. Think about it. Okay. And what was this conversation like with Matthew, who was a tax collector for the enemy? The Romans, huh? Think about it, right? And then how did uh, pessimistic Thomas interact with impulsive, big mouth Peter? Can you imagine that staff meeting? Can you see Ken and... You know, all these guys in there together, Danny, and they're just trying to chop it up, and Ken's always putting his foot in his mouth. (laughs) And then why did Jesus nickname James and John the sons of thunder? Boy, I think these guys had attitudes, and I don't know what the specific reasons were why God chose them, but we know that they were hot-tempered, they were weak faith, because sometimes they didn't even believe, right? But the thing that they had in common was that God called them, and they all responded in obedience. And when he called them, he called them because he was going to take this factious group and mold them into individuals that represented and reflected his character, and then to do his work. And then he fulfilled his word when he told them, he said, that you did not choose me, I chose you. And this is why I chose you and appointed you, that you might be fruitful And that you might have fruit that remain. I want you to catch that. Because sometimes if we aren't careful, we we tend to think that God just called us to have a happy meeting on Sunday at 8.30 in the morning or at 10 o'clock or 11.45 or 6 p.m. And that we have these great small groups that we're a part of and we just love each other. But the reality is, is that God called us and appointed us that we might be fruitful and that we would have fruit that literally did last. According to John chapter 15. So, the appointment of the 12 marks the formation of, get this, a messianic fellowship and anticipates the extension of Jesus' ministry throughout the land. Now, I want you to picture yourself now because this didn't stop with those 12 or the 100 or the 500 or the thousands or even now the millions that follow him. This, this in- incorporates us into God's plan to extend His mission throughout the world. And how many know that God is not done yet? God is not done yet, and we have a role in helping God fulfill His mission. Somebody say his mission. his mission, because if we aren't careful, we get to thinking that this thing is about us and what we want and what we like and how we want it done. But the reality is, is that if we have been called to God and we responded to God, guess what? It's about Him. Let me get downright citified. It ain't about you. It's about what God wants, amen? Amen. So he calls these 12 together to start this extension of his mission throughout the years. Wow. Lord, have mercy, help me. So here we have a clear, redemptive, and historical, significant thing happening here when he calls them. And so he's on this, on this place where they know that God does stuff. God speaks. God gives them revelation. He's on this mountaintop, and out of the hundreds and thousands who would follow him, he called these 12 to be with him. And what I like about this is that they responded in obedience. It's one of the challenges I'm having with the current church today. I love the church. I believe uh, we are God's redemptive work in the earthly realm, but sometimes we're doing our own thing instead of his thing. Going our own way instead of his way. And I think God wants us to come back to a place where we're saying yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. So, how does this apply to us? I don't have a lot of time. They only gave me 25 minutes. So, I, I thought this is Presbyterian. So, I just created a half a sermon. <laughs> so, you get a half a sermon a day, okay? <laughs> well, so, so, so I want us to imagine, though. Because I think we've lost the essence of what it means to gather in a place like this. This really is still a holy place. The tabernacle was that place where people met God and God met with them. God spoke to them. God gave them revelation. God encouraged them. God healed them. God delivered them. Amen. And and so when we come here, we we can't be as trite as we have been. We got to see this as a place where God still speaks. Somebody says, speak, Lord when I come I'm always asking God what is it that you want to say to me and to us today it's the step mountain that's what this sanctuary represents that place where we encounter the most high God so God calls us to this place so the mountain becomes important and then he calls us and so what I like about this is that the, these, these 12 fellows, man they, they give me hope I don't know about you They give me hope, and I'm thankful that God's grace keeps our humanness from disqualifying disqualifying us from being used by him. When I think about the the big mouth Peter, I think about the fearful uh, 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 Peter, when I think about the doubting Thomas, when I think about the guys who had the temper, when I think about the guys who couldn't keep things under control, it gives me hope, and it ought to give you hope because if God can select them, guess who else God can select Mm -hmm. Tell somebody else he's talking about you now. (laughs) Because I know, I know I have it together. It's you that needs help, right? But it gives me hope, and this is a good place for you to say amen. If God can call that motley crew, surely God can call us and use us too. So what does God call us to? And this is what I love about this text. This is, this, is, this is the thing that stirs me here is because he first calls them, somebody say to be with him. Then he called him to preach the gospel. Then he gave them power. Ooh, ooh this is scary, over demons, evil forces. Now that's the scary part. We're not going to tread on that too heavy this morning, right? I want you all to come back next week. But think about this. This is why God calls us. First of all, before he calls us to do anything for him and to serve him, he calls us first to be with him. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to ask you to fight for your precious communion time with God that you fight the build into your hectic schedule, time to be on your face or your knees, or if your knees are too ripped up, sit in a chair, but be quiet and still before God so that God can speak to you. Because there are far too many of us trying to do God's work without God's inspiration. Oh, so see, see, y'all don't like that part. Let me, let me stay nice this morning. God called them to be with him. What do you think happened when they were with him? That's where Jesus modeled for them what it is they were to be and what it is they were to do and how they were to do it. It's in those private times. You see where he spoke to the crowd and then he would pull away and go to them all by himself. They would say, but Jesus, what does that mean? Rabbi, help me. Enlighten me. And it was in those times when they were with him that he would inform them and speak to them and encourage them and instruct them and at times correct them because they spend time with him. And it's sad to say that I am way too busy sometimes to be in that place with God. But this is why, this is why I like prayer. Because I believe it is in that place of prayer that God literally begins to give us the vision that we ought to have. Think about Nehemiah, if you will. Nehemiah was encountered with this problem. His friends came to see him. He said, how are folks at home? He said, things are horrible. The gates are burned down. The walls are broken. Instead of calling a committee, instead of calling the session, Instead of calling a small group, the Bible tells us that, that, that Nehemiah went into this season of prayer. Not just a time of prayer, but a season of prayer. And if you count it out, he prayed literally for about three months. He fasted, he prayed, he mourned, he confessed. And in this season, I believe it was in that season when God showed him how to rebuild those walls. How to restore that broken place. How to deal with the embarrassment and the insecurity of Israel because the walls were down. I believe it was in that place. And so today I believe that when we have issues and struggles and we want to know what to do and what God wants to do to change whatever your concern is, whatever your issue is, I think we got to bathe that thing in what I call a season of prayer. And then as it goes on, we know how the story unfolds. He finds himself in the presence of the king. The king said, why are you sad? It was not a good thing to be sad in the presence of the king. He said, why should I not be sad when things are bad at home? And so the king said, so what do you want? And then at that moment, the Bible says he looked up to heaven, and then he answered the king. I believe that's called an arrow prayer. And arrow prayers work best when they have been preceded by a season of prayer. Uh, A few of y'all got that. We do lots of arrow prayers. God, help me with this. Help me with that. Go here. Go there. Touch this one. Touch that one. But what what would happen if we ever made time to be with God? I got to move on. I got to move on. (laughs) And so this is the significance here is that he wants us to be with him. And he calls us to be with him so that he can instruct us and encourage us. And he can build us. And lead us and give us what to think. I love that passage in Psalms where it says, delight in the Lord, and He gives you the desires of your heart. I, I love that because I got that Mercedes-Benz in mine. Yes. I got that Maserati, I've got that house upon the hill in mine, and God knows I, I need to go, I need to get to Europe and Africa at least twice a year each. So when I'm praying, I've got that in my mind. Okay, God, give me what I want. But what I've learned is this, is that when I'm really in that place of being with him, it is in those moments when he literally gives me what to desire. God, what am I to desire? What am I to desire? What should I be hoping for? What should I be praying for? What should I be crying out to you for? And when we love him and have a delight in him, he will feed us. Oh, God, I got to move on. The second thing he did was he called them to preach. Somebody said, preach. Preach. There you go. Lord have mercy. Preach up in here, somebody. One of the things I loved about University Presbyterian Church, ever since I met you, I moved into Seattle 29 years ago. Uh, It'll be 29 years uh, on Tuesday. It was raining just like it is now. Don't blame it on me. It was raining when I got here. See, I came from California. You should have got some sunshine, but instead you got high prices. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, but think about it. he. He called them to preach. in University Press, since I've known you, have been in the zone of how do we as a congregation love our city and the world? How do we get involved? That's why you got involved with this little new upstart thing down in Rainier Valley, designed to kind of reach families and minister to young people and to give them vision and hope and to break cycles of poverty and to build cycles of hope in them. Because you said, how do we come alongside of that and make this thing happen? You've always had a heart and a passion for doing things. And I want to encourage you to keep on, keep it on. Because the church has a wonderful opportunity, not just to see change, but to lead change. And what we need in our society is not happening through our normal means, which says that we've got to do some things differently. And the church has a great opportunity to do that. And so Jesus called them because he wanted them to, he wanted to extend his his mission by declaring his goodness. I often say to people that perhaps my mom's life would have been different had she encountered the gospel of Jesus. My mother died at the age of 39. She was a heroin addict. As a result, my sister was a heroin addict. As a result, my aunt married to her, and her husband both were heroin addicts. And and I went to this church when I was a teenager, and they loved me. But not once did they ever contact my mother. Not once. I begged her. I got her to come to church with me one Sunday night. And the spirit was high, bro. I mean, the spirit was high. Worship was high. I mean, prayer was going forth. And that woman fell out under the power of God. And she got up and nobody ever called her. And they often wonder, what would have happened in my mother's life? Could it have been different had someone shared the gospel with her? Had someone simply said to her, this is God's mission for you, God's plan for you, God's hope for you, God's desire for you. This is what God wants of you. What would have happened in that woman's life? I don't know, but I think it could have been different. And the reason I say that is because my life turned out different. Acid, opium, heroin, you name it, all kind of pills, hallucinogenics, all in combination is what I was engaged in and involved in. And when somebody told me about Jesus, it gave me a frame of reference, and I realized that that's not God's plan for me the way I was going. And something about God's truth transformed me and changed me. And so today I'm standing before you as a gospel preacher, Someone who can witness the God's healing power. God delivered me. God set me free because somebody dared to tell me about the gospel before that I was doing my own thing, my own way. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I getting too loud for you? But it was the preaching of the gospel that changed me. They were nice to me. But it was the gospel that changed me. In many ways, they served me, but it was the gospel that changed me. It was God's truth that healed me. It was God's truth that released me. So let's not get confused with doing nice things with the preaching of the gospel. I used to steal cookies from the mom and pop store at the top of the hill and ice cream and used to go to my neighbor's house and take quarters out of this big, giant cup he had when he, would, he was gone. I'd unlock his door and sneak in while he was gone, so I was pillaging his place while he was gone. And I thought, now, if I can just get an education, I, I get a bachelor's in business, and what I can do then is embezzle money from a company. <laughs> I think I was watching too much Perry Mason. Yeah. That, was my, that was my vision. It was a crazy vision, but that's what it was. And that's exactly what would have happened to me had they left me in the state I was in without preaching the gospel to me, the good news of Christ to me. I would have gone from selling from the mom and pop store to what? The gospel makes a difference. So God called them, right, to, to preach the gospel. Lord have mercy. Thank you for that big clock right there. Okay. Because <laughs> mine keeps going off, right? Okay, I got a few more minutes. Here we go. So, so he calls them first to be with him. God, help me to guard my time with you. Secondly, he called them because he wanted them to, to extend his mission by preaching the gospel. Then the third thing was that they would have power and authority to cast out demons. See, not, not only were the disciples trained in the message of the gospel, they also had authority over evil forces. You see, when Jesus... Came into this earthly realm, he began to set things in order. Things that become chaotic because of sin, things are still chaotic because of sin. But Jesus' presence began to change that. So Jesus called these people, touched them, healed them, filled them, anointed them, and by doing so, he extended his capacity and his mission. So you and I become a part of God's plan to interrupt the forces that are counter to God. Gave them authority and cast out those demons. Had Jesus' authority over evil forces. Now, understand that the authority came because they were with God. I have no power of my own to deal with any of the madness that I encounter on a weekly basis. But God does. And what I'm learning to do is how to just simply declare God's truth to people in very non-threatening ways. And what we're seeing are people changed. Because people are bound and caught And tied up in things that are very different than what God has in store for them. So the disciples could speak the word of God. And God's power would do the rest. Why is this so important? Because God is still in the business of extending his mission through us his modern-day disciples. In fact, I don't even call myself a Christian anymore because it has too many negative connotations. I am a devoted follower of Jesus. And I don't mind telling folks that, huh? Not at all. Folks calling themselves some of everything nowadays. So I'm not going to be afraid to say, I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. My Hindu friend can say he's connected to one of the 300 million gods he thinks are out there. I can tell him I'm devoted to Jesus. And be glad about it. Amen. Because if I'm devoted to Jesus, then I'm I'm spending time with him. And being with him. And I'm declaring his message. His message is good news. He's always come to free us and to help us. And to give us hope. And there, there are times when he has to challenge us. But, you know, that's just the way he does it. So my challenge to you is that you be a people who... Continuously declare God's goodness, so that God can be God in the midst of people. God knows I've cried a number of times, Brother Ken. People have come to me looking for help, and God knows I couldn't do a thing for them. Never will forget that homeless couple was there, and all I could do was cry and say, "God, how do I how how, how do they change? How do they get help? What do I do?" And I couldn't, and I and I was just weeping. I realized at that point, if God didn't help them, guess what? They would not be helped. So I'm going to close with this, my half sermon. That God is still in the business of calling us to himself. Because he wants us to be with him. God wants us to declare his story. And when we declare his story, God will give us the ability to trust him for what seems impossible because he's the one that works miracles. God bless you. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org or call 206 Five two four seven three zero one extension one one seven.